Turn with me in your Scriptures to the, book, the Gospel of John. Today we will be in John 15, 18. That's where we'll begin and we'll uh, move around between that passage and another passage that begins in John 16, 16. John has recorded this Gospel for us. He is recording words that he gave to the disciple, words of comfort, uh, words of warning that he gave to them in his last night with them as uh, he was either in the upper room or on his way to the garden where he would wrestle with the temptation to allow this cup to pass from him, wrestle with Satan as Satan tempted him with that very temptation and be ministered to and ultimately be betrayed there in the garden. This week we will look at the end of his words before he prays in John 17, that great prayer that Jesus prayed a prayer for Himself, a prayer for the disciples, and even a prayer for us there. But today we are wrapping up Jesus' words of warning and comfort to the disciples. So read with me beginning in John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning." All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. And then down to verse 16 of chapter 16. In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I mean when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. 
I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am, now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples says, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, I am here in this pulpit today with the opportunity to preach because of Your mercy. Out of Your mercy, You have called me and asked me to deliver a message of light. A light that I carry in this fragile clay jar. Lord, shine Your light through me. Shine Your light in spite of me so that Your people may hear that grace, so that Your people may hear that mercy so that your people may know your joy and your peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the life of the Christian marked by? Or what does it like to live in the world but not be of the world? We often look at the answers to those questions in light of how we act. In light of how we wrestle with sin in our lives and strive to be more and more like Jesus. To strive to rid ourselves of sin in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's not just an action that we take that should mark how we live in this world. It is an attitude as well. A change of heart. A change of viewing the world that is marked as we see today in our passage by a very short three-letter word. One place that he says it is at the end of verse 24. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. We are to live lives marked by joy. How does Jesus describe the life that we are to live? How does Jesus describe the attitude of the world to us if we are to have this attitude of joy? We're going to look at a little bit of how one of the ways the world looks at the church is uh, through hatred. The world hates the church, and we'll dig into that here more in a few minutes. But the hatred of the world causes grief to the church, causes grief to the Christian. It may be the hatred and the grief of persecution. It may just be the grief of living in a fallen world that is broken by sin where people suffer and loved ones die and we struggle with the difficulties of living life. But in the midst of all this, Jesus says we are to have joy because He says it is like a woman who is in the pains of birth, who is going through the travail the struggle of birth. In Isaiah, our Old Testament reading, Isaiah talked about 
how his people had, God's people had struggled through the griefs of life, struggled as though in pain, and given birth to nothing, given birth to even more grief and more struggle. But Jesus says now the grief, the specific grief of the disciples losing him to the crucifixion, but moreover, the grief of living life in a fallen world that hates them will ultimately give birth to joy in the life of the Christian. Joy because they will see Him again after He was resurrected a few days following His crucifixion. Joy because we know that through that we have the promise of life eternal with God. But how do we have joy? How do we seek joy? I want to look today at three statements of Jesus that He said throughout this passage marked by these words. I have told you this so that. And so today we will look at those three so that statements that Jesus gives to His disciples and shows them how to bring joy. First, joy comes through retaining a faithful witness. In verse 16, chapter, or chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus says, All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. This ends a section where Jesus describes the hatred of the world against the church, against the disciples. Now, why will the disciples be hated by the world? Jesus says they're going to hate you because they hated me. Why did the world hate Jesus? He gives us three reasons here. Number one, because they, they hated Jesus because He had divine authority. Throughout His ministry, we've seen it several times in the book of John, Jesus has told the leaders in the crowd that He has only spoken what the Father has given Him to speak. He has only done the things that the Father has told Him to do. He was asked at one point, by what authority do you teach these things? And He says, it is my authority as God that I teach these things. And one thing that we know of human beings is that oftentimes we do not like being under authority. We buck against authority. We rebel against authority every opportunity we have. And the world did not like Jesus because He had divine authority. They hated Him because they could not shake the foundation of His authority. And the authority that He had was the authority of the Creator. The second reason they hated Him was because of His teaching. He says in the, early, the later part there of chapter 15, He says, uh, where did it go? He said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. And we have to be careful here. Are, are we guilty of sin if we don't know the law? If we have not had it revealed to us? Yes, the rest of Scripture is very clear. Paul specifically in Romans 1 and 2 talks about the law of God written upon our heart. And when we violate that law, we still violate God's law and we are still responsible for sin. But in the context of John and in the context of what he taught earlier, the greatest sin that we can be guilty of is the sin of unbelief. And Jesus came with teaching that had divine authority behind it and He confronted them with His teaching, with His spoken word. And they did not like being confronted. They did not like having their belief systems challenged. They did not like being told through the teaching of Jesus that what they had built their salvation upon, the works of the law, and following what they interpreted God's law to mean, they did not like being told that it was wrong. 
And that their, their salvation was built upon a foundation that was non-existent. And that they must base their foundation upon Him and their salvation upon Him. And number three, he said the world hated Jesus because His signs confirmed the truthfulness of His teaching and the divine nature of His authority. Jesus claimed to have divine authority. Jesus taught based upon that divine authority. And then to show that He was from God, He performed miracles. The miracles promised in books like Isaiah, the miracles of the end time when the deaf would hear, the mute would speak, the lame would leap for joy and dance. Jesus performed those miracles to show that His teaching was true, to show that the divine authority that He had came directly from God. And He says, they're going to hate you for the exact same reason they hate Me. Why would they hate the disciples? Verse 26 and 27 of chapter 15 reminds us that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind Jesus' teaching to the disciples so that they might teach the same thing He did and so that they might write down the Scriptures for us so that we might have the revelation of Jesus Christ so that we might know His words, His teaching, and His life. And the reason they are going to hate the disciples is because they are going to carry on the ministry of Jesus. They're going to carry on the teaching of Jesus. And for the disciples, they carried on the miracle of Jesus, miracles of Jesus to show that they had the divine backing in their teaching as well. And just as much as the world hated Jesus for what He did, for the challenges He made and the teaching He gave, they were going to hate the disciples because they were going to give the same teaching and the same challenges. We see this filled out in Luke's introduction to the, to the book of Acts. In his gospel, Luke's gospel, he says, Theophilus, I am going to tell you what Jesus did while he was on the earth. And then in Acts, he said, Jesus, I am going to tell you what Jesus is continuing to do and continuing to teach now that he is in heaven. And he is doing that through his disciples and through his church. And Jesus says, you will have joy if you remain faithful to me. If you remember and not go astray. What is the temptation when we are confronted with the world and it hates us? The temptation is to knock a little bit of the, the hard edges off of the message that we preach. The temptation is to want to be accepted by the world, so maybe I'm going to soften my language regarding sin. And we want a seat at the table, as one commentator puts it. We... When it comes to science, we want to be able to say we are a Christian, we affirm creation, and we, we want a seat at the table. So we may some, say something like, okay, so it's God-directed evolution. And we may give up a little bit of what we believe. Well, the problem with that is the world wants nothing but complete surrender and complete rejection of the message of Jesus Christ. And when we give a little bit, the world says, ah, we appreciate you giving a little bit, but you still can't have a seat at the table. And so we give a little bit more. And they say, ah, we appreciate you giving a little bit more, but we still hate you. You're not allowed a seat at the table. And that process continues until we find ourselves saying, none of this is real. Jesus, yeah, He might have lived, but He didn't raise from the dead. Yeah, Jesus might have lived, but He didn't perform miracles. And uh, oh, the God, this is all mythology. This, and, and if we just learn to love one another, then, then the world would be a much happier place. And, and we've rejected everything. 
We've rejected the Gospel. We've rejected Christ. And Jesus says, I am warning you that the world hates you. And you because I don't want you to go astray. I don't want you to be surprised and I want you to remember and be faithful to Me. So joy comes through retaining a faithful witness. The second statement that we have that Jesus says, I have said these things so that is related to the first. He says in 16.4, I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember what I warned you. And so joy comes through remembering Jesus' words. Jesus is going to be arrested. Jesus is going to die. He's going to be raised again from the dead. And then He's going to ascend into heaven. Whereas the creed tells us He's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And when that happens, people are going to come claiming to do the work of God. And that work of God is the persecution of the church. Think of Paul. Before he became Paul, he was Saul when we are introduced to him in Acts chapter 7. And he is sitting at the doorway to where, at the entry area to where Stephen was martyred. Approving it. Later on in chapter 9, he is going under the authority of the religious leaders to persecute Christians, thinking that he is doing God's work and destroying the church. Jesus warns the disciples, people will persecute you, people will destroy you, people will murder you, thinking that they are doing God's work and worshiping God. And I just want you to remember that I warned you. I just want you to remember that my divine prophecy, you were warned in this. And so, we are told that joy comes through remembering what Jesus told us. Through studying His Word enough so that we can know that when life is difficult, yeah, Jesus said that was going to happen. When we are persecuted, Jesus said that was going to happen. And we also remember Jesus' words from Matthew 5. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for My name's sake. Because persecution for many people in the early church and even in today's church leads to what we, can, we call martyrdom. The ultimate witness of giving our life by standing on the truth in joy. And people think they, are, they led these martyrs to the slaughter. They thought they were doing God a favor. They thought they were worshiping God. And yet they were all actually giving the martyrs the opportunity to truly worship Him by remembering the teaching of Jesus and finding joy in that teaching. Revelation gives us a picture of the martyred saints in heaven giving that perfect, perfect worship in God's presence. So joy comes through retaining a faithful witness. Joy comes through remembering Jesus' words. But ultimately, joy comes through peace with Jesus. At the end of chapter 16, in verse 33, He said, "...as I have told you those, these things..." so that in Me you might have peace in this world. Or so that you might have peace, excuse me, in this world belongs to the next sentence. You know, the disciples have listened to Jesus for three years. And many times Jesus spoke to them obscurely. When He says in verse, 20, when he says in verse 25, though I have been speaking to you figuratively, probably what He means in the original language is that you know what? I've been speaking obscurely to you. What has He said to the disciples oftentimes throughout this teaching in the book of John? Hey, once my hour arrives, you'll get this. Once the work of God is done through my death, my burial, and my resurrection, you'll begin to understand what it is that I'm saying to you. You can't understand it now, but you will in the future. He says, I have been speaking obscurely to you. 
But the time, or literally the hour, is coming when I will no longer use this type of language. And you will finally understand. And he goes into this discourse about prayer, which we'll look at in just a minute briefly. But then the disciple says, oh, thank goodness you've been speaking obscurely for so long. Now you are speaking clearly. You understood what we were thinking about. We were scared to ask you the question, what did you mean you're going to leave and then come back in a little while and we'll be sad and then we'll be joyful? You knew that before we asked you. You truly are God and you truly are exactly who you said you are. And we believe you. And Jesus answers, we, we lose this in translation. We, the language there is actually a little bit sarcastic. Really? Now you believe me? Three years later, now you believe me? My hour has not come, but now you get everything? Because He knows what's coming next. He knows that in a little while He is going to leave them. It's going to be a very short while. They're on their way to the garden, or at least almost on their way to the garden. He said, the problem is with your belief is it's built upon a shaky foundation. Just like Nathaniel in John chapter 2, who he saw, Jesus saw under a tree, and Nathaniel said, you must be the Messiah. You saw me under the tree. And Jesus says, you're going to see so much more things. So many more things happen. They go, hey, you knew what we were thinking. You must be the Messiah. And Jesus said that foundation's going to crumble in a few hours. Because when I'm betrayed and arrested, you are going to scatter Peter's already been warned, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But he looks at the other ten. Remember, Judas is gone. He looks at the other ten and he says, you know what, when I'm arrested, you're gone. You're going to abandon me. You're going to leave me. Yes, Peter and John came back quickly, but they left too. They abandoned him as well. And he says, you still don't understand, but I'm telling you all these things so that you might have peace through me. How do they have peace with him? We oftentimes make the discussion of peace not centered around the absence of conflict. But I think in this case, that's a very important thing to understand. We are at war with God. We are rebels against God. We have declared war and said that we are kings of our own lives. You have no right to tell me what to do. And we are in waging a war we cannot win. And Jesus says, I go to buy you peace with the Father. I go to reconcile your rebellion. I go to give you mercy so that you might have peace with God. And in having peace with God, you might have joy. Our joy is founded upon this. Our joy is founded upon the fact that no matter what we do, no matter how bad our sin, no matter the depth of our depravity, we can have peace with God. And Jesus says, this peace will be marked by the fact that I will no longer have to stand in between you and Him. If you want something from God, you go ask Him. You have a prayer request, you go to His feet, you go to His throne, and you say, in Jesus' name, this is what I want. And we know from other teaching that we've looked at already, in Jesus' name is kind of the same as saying, according to your will according to Jesus' will. And so we want our prayers, we want our desires to be more and more conformed to what brings God glory. But Jesus says, if your desires are conformed to My will, if your desires are in My name, you go to God and you ask Him for them. What greater peace is there than that? 
We know, yes, Jesus intercedes for us, but the, the majority of the intercession, we have this idea of Jesus' intercession to us that we sit here and we pray. We say, okay, God, grow our church. And Jesus is there and He, he catches that prayer from us. And He says, all right, I've got this prayer from Fairly ARP Church. And he turns around and He goes over here. He says, God, here's this prayer from Fairly ARP Church. And God takes it. And God gives His answer and Jesus grabs it. And he comes back over here and he says, okay, fairly ARP church, here's the answer to your prayer. The intercession that he has done for us is that he has opened the doors so that he can say, come on in here with me and ask God yourself. We're no longer mediated when we go to ask God our request. Jesus says, come on in here with me and ask the king yourself. Jesus says, I have bought peace for you, and because I have bought peace, you can have joy. The reality is, we will forget oftentimes to retain a faithful witness before God. I'm just as human as you are. I like to be liked by other people. You know, the, the song by Cheap Trick, you know, I, I, I'd love for you to love me. That's kind of my theme song for the world. I'd love for you to love me, and you know what? I will not retain a faithful witness sometime because I want the world to love me. I'm going to fail in retaining a faithful witness. I'm going to forget Jesus' teaching. I'm going to fail in that area. And so, those two bases of my joy are reliant upon me. But my joy is still complete. Because the third basis of my joy is the peace that God has bought for me. Peace between me and the Father. And that is not dependent upon me. That is dependent upon Him. And that is the true foundation that gives me the ability to retain a faithful witness, to stand up and say, I'm sorry, but that's wrong. And I don't care what you say. I don't care what your attacks you bring against me, but this is the truth of the Gospel. This is the truth that God proclaims. And it is the basis of me being able to remember the teachings of God. It's because He has bought me peace with God. And so if you struggle with joy today, if you struggle with the joy that is complete, remember the salvation that has been purchased for you. Remember the reconciliation that Christ has purchased on the cross so that you might have joy. So that you might have peace. And as you contemplate the peace that Jesus has bought for you, let that fill you with joy. Let that bubble up into you so that even throughout the attacks of the world and the grief that we live in living in a sinful world, you may have joy. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank You that we have access to You, that we can come directly to You accompanied by our Lord and Savior into Your presence, covered with His righteousness so that we might be at peace with You. Give us the joy of knowing that we are at peace. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.